Please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and for today let's start in Revelation chapter 18. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Many angels found in the book of Revelation, and here you think of the term, I saw a star fall from heaven, or this star lit up the sky. If you go to Hollywood, actors are called stars. But here in scripture, this star is a literal angelic being. And it says from 18.1 again, And after these things, following on from chapter 17, which details the fall of ecclesiastical Babylon, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, great authority, and the earth was lightened with his glory. You can't miss this angel's arrival. There are many descriptions, many accounts of angels coming down to earth. And if you came into the presence of such an angel, you were forever changed. Look at verse 2 from chapter 18, please. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Great in the sense of wickedness, not great in the sense of goodness. Keep your hand in uh, this piece of scripture and turn to Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 20, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. So here a bird is pictured as a messenger, and that expression, a little bird told me. But of course the inference is much deeper than just a bird. In fact, from Isaiah Isaiah 34, I think it is from memory, or Isaiah 37, it speaks about animals in hell, birds. Birds, of course, are types of unclean spirits. And here, from Ecclesiastes 10, 20, you are told to be careful what you say, because what you say can not only come back to haunt you, but can come back to cause you great problems, because people are listening to you. Unclean spirits, of course. Go back to Revelation 18, look at verse 2 again. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of the unclean and hateful bird. This picture of Babylon, this term for its fall, its collapse, will feed into economical Babylon. Now I spent the last week looking at the book of Revelation 17 and 18, and looking at different commentaries and trying to understand just what is going on. And you've got a few views here, a few options. The first option is that Rome is being pictured from 17 and 18. Another view is that Revelation 17 is picturing ecclesiastical Rome, but by chapter 18, you're looking at perhaps New York being destroyed, or even some have suggested Jerusalem being destroyed. Others hold to the view that perhaps Babylon being Iraq is going to be rebuilt. Now that's an interesting thought. And I'll come back to that hypothesis shortly. But from 18, 1 and 2, John has been shown this further collapse of Babylon. And he says from 2 that every unclean spirit, every foul spirit, a cage of unclean spirits and hateful birds has been uh, flagged up for destruction. I think if you keep that piece of scripture from Ecclesiastes 10 in mind, you will have some understanding as to what is going on. 
and I'll come back to that verse shortly. Look at verse 3, please, from Revelation chapter 18. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. They've all made a lot of money off the backs of this system. If you follow crime, or if you've ever uh, read any books about crime, or the mafia, for example, it's always very interesting when such a person goes before court, and it turns out that this colourful character was not only uh, involved with businesses, uh, investments, so on and so forth, he wasn't just an entrepreneur, but he was also a gangster. It's like if you walk down your local high street, for example, and you walk past many different shops, and one shop is a dry cleaner, shall we say, and you think to yourself, it's just dry cleaners, no big deal, yes, but what goes on behind such closed doors, or what goes on in such a place. On the outside, it's pictured as being a dry cleaners, but inside, it's a front for organized crime. And I think what we are reading about this morning, and I will try and cover as much ground this morning as is possible, is Babylon being pictured in more than one way. Now, if you look at the Catholic Church, for example, on the outside, if you are a typical unsaved man or woman, you think to yourself that this is a great church, this is a great institution been around a long time, does a lot of good, quote-unquote. You think that it's legit, but of course, to those of us which are saved, it's not legit. To those of us which are saved, it is a counterfeit church. But society in general is very much intoxicated when she takes a look at this system. That's why it speaks about all nations, not some nations, but all nations. And last time I looked at this in great detail, I was able to see that the Vatican has relations with most countries, around the world, maybe excluding a handful. Perhaps North Korea might be one that she doesn't have relations with. But most countries, the Catholic Church will enjoy relations with. If you go back to the 1980s, when Ronald Reagan was the American president, very much highly thought of by uh, by conservatives in America, even to the present day, people think that he was a great president. And yet right towards the end of his presidency, he had a meeting with Billy Graham, and many people think that Graham was this great Christian. I think personally he sold out many decades previously. But the point is this, Reagan had a meeting with Graham, and Graham said to Reagan, it's my opinion, Mr. President, that you should open relations with the Vatican. You ought to send an ambassador to Rome. It's worth taking the time to mend bridges, so on and so forth, going back to Lincoln's assassination because the Jesuits were behind Lincoln's assassination and therefore good old evangelical Baptist Billy Graham was able to convince good old Ronald Reagan seemed very much as a conservative president to reopen diplomatic links with the Vatican around that time as a quick footnote Ronald Reagan was made an honorary Freemason so I'm not surprised how all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication and the kings of the earth Leaders, prime ministers, presidents, so on and so forth, had committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. If you go back to the Old Testament, you look at Israel. Israel was told to be separate from the nations, and yet today, Israel is back in the land, praise the Lord. It was told that she would return back in 1948, and of course we know that she won't, she'll never leave again. But she was told very clearly back in the Old Testament not to be yoked up to the Gentile nations. And that's why I'm critical sometimes of Israel being so close 
to the Gentile nations. Israel, according to the scripture, should be close to God, not the Gentile nations. Look at verse 4 from Revelation 18. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Now from chapter 14, I think it's 13 and 14 from memory, seems to me that that's the point of no return, meaning this, that from Revelation 14 onwards, no one else gets saved. Revelation 14 is the last time that anyone gets saved. So those that die post-Revelation 14 got saved pre-Revelation 14. And this is a continuation of the call to come out of this false system. Now what we can say that doctrinally, this will be in reference to the Jews that are on the earth during the tribulation, those that are caught up in this ecclesiastical, this economical Babylon, and they are told to come out. We can also spiritualize such a passage to those in organized religion today. And we can say, get out, run for the hills. But this voice comes from heaven. Interesting, because around this time, like I say, the two witnesses have long gone. The 144,000 have long gone. There is no one left on the earth to preach any kind of a message. So Almighty God steps in. And here he has chosen an angel to give this final warning. Come out of her, my people. This is in reference to the Lord's people, not the devil's people, which shows that during the tribulation, people will be part of this system. They may be saved and are saved in spite of such a system, not because of such a system, but the Lord wants them out. He would call Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that piece of scripture from the book of Genesis is very interesting to read because it speaks about Lot dragging his heels. He was saved, but he was carnal. And the angels said, we can't destroy this city, this place, which around that time would have consisted of around probably five million people until you leave. And they dragged him out, picturing the carnality of the believer. Look at verse five from chapter 18. For sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Don't play around with the mercy of the Lord. Don't abuse the grace of the Lord. He is long-suffering, and his long-suffering, his uh, patience, is given to A, get people saved, and B, to bring those back into fellowship with him. For her sins have reached unto heaven, like Sodom and Gomorrah, and God hath remembered her iniquities. It's like the point of no return, as I say. It's like... I've waited long enough. I've sent two witnesses, the 144,000. My son has been and gone. I've sent prophets from the Old Testament, apostles during the New Testament. I've sent missionaries left, right, and center. I've given people creation, conscience, and yet in spite of all that, they don't want me. In spite of all that, man hates me. And I made that case in Oxford some weeks ago to a very irate man. And I say to him just that, that mankind doesn't want the Lord. Mankind doesn't seek the Lord. Mankind hates the Lord. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. Read it sometime. It speaks about the people's hearts, their imaginations constantly being against the Lord. There's something about mankind which puts them on the wrong side of the Lord. And that's why grace has to be grace. Because if you were to try and approach the Lord yourself, not only would you be consumed, but you would be an abomination to him. Because you are no good. Look at verse 6 please. Reward her even as she rewarded you. 
and double unto her double according to her works, and the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. Reward her, this big system, this ecclesiastical system, this religious system. Reward her even as she rewarded you. Going back to the first Caesar, empowered during the time of John and the apostles, feeding into Caesar reappearing during the tribulation in the person of the Antichrist. Meaning this, that when Christ came the first time, Rome was in power. And when Christ comes a second time, Rome will be in power. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, apostles, all martyred for their faith, excluding John. And double unto her double, according to her works. In the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. And people say, well, this is pretty heavy stuff. And I don't like the idea of people being destroyed. I don't like the idea of the Lord pouring out fury or his vengeance his disgust on such people well turn to psalm 139 psalm 139 and we read about uh, king david a great type of the lord jesus christ and king david would make the following uh, statement which i read this morning and i thought yes very appropriate to what we are reading today and in psalm 139 uh, look at verse 19, please. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. What a statement to make. Do not I hate them, twenty-one, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them, verse 22, with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. So here you've got David, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, making it very clear that he considered the enemies of the Lord to be his own enemies. Go back to Revelation chapter 18. So you should separate from unsaved people. You should preach against unsaved people. And you should take the side of Almighty God when it comes to his enemies. Revelation 18, Revelation 18, look at verse 7, please. How much she had glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. She thinks she's impregnable. She thinks she is infallible. She thinks she is above reproach. You go to Rome. And you go to Vatican City and you get a banner up or you start to give out tracts or you start to street preach. Within five minutes, the Swiss guards will jump on you. Within five minutes, the Italian police will detain you and question you and ask you to leave. You return maybe an hour later and you do it again. The Swiss guards arrest you this time or the Italian police arrest you this time and they deport you. They don't want you going to Vatican City. They don't want you preaching the gospel. They think that they are above reproach. And here it speaks so clearly about this Babylon system. How much she hath glorified herself. Look at me. We've been around for 2,000 years, uh, years and lived deliciously. Mansions, nice palaces, nice pads as they say. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, holy mother church, and am no widow. I'm not tied to anyone, and shall see no sorrow. You can't touch me. 
When the Pope speaks ex cathedra, according to his own church, he is infallible. And I've read over the years of Jesuits that have written against his infallibility. And they've been pushed out of the Catholic Church. You try and challenge the Pope on the Immaculate Conception, or on papal infallibility, or on the Eucharist being the literal body and blood of the Lamb. They will push you out of their church. They won't allow you to question what they believe. 18.8. Therefore shall have plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. It goes back to Babylon. Babel, meaning confusion. People coming together, trying to approach the Lord their own way. And also that term Babel, Babylon, can also feed into sexuality, feed into bestiality. It's an absolute mess when you mix it all up. But here you've got a throwback to Sodom and Gomorrah again. And like I say, if you were to take the time to research Sodom and Gomorrah, get the maps out and take a look at the space that was destroyed. At least five million people. And it also speaks about the cities which were around Sodom and Gomorrah being put to death or being destroyed. People burned up. And I mean children. I mean women. I mean animals. The word of God says how the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. He hates all workers of iniquity. And yet at the same time, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life, have life without end. You've got two things. You've got the mercy of the Lord and the anger of the Lord. And they run side by side. But here, 18.8, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. There was a great quote some years ago by a former Catholic priest who said that the best uh, book ever written against the Catholic Church was the Bible. Much truth in that. Because if you read the Bible, if you are a Bible believer and a Bible reader, you see very quickly that Almighty God has put his word above his name and at the same time at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Only Christ, only his word, and only the triunity of the Lord are holy and inspired. No church comes anywhere near. Look at verse 9 from chapter 18. And the kings of the earth, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her, when they shall see the smoke of her burning standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. So I sat down this morning before starting today's service, and I got online, and I wanted to look up maps. I wanted to look at Babylon in Iraq. I wanted to see what the layout looks like. And it's interesting when we, when we, when we think about Iraq, and we look at Iraq, because up until quite recently, there was a man called Saddam Hussein, a Shiite Muslim, And he had great plans for Iraq. He wanted to be the next Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he thought he was a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. And for maybe 10, 15 years, he was a pretty powerful guy in the Middle East. But two Iraq wars, the Iraq-Iran war, pretty much crippled Iraq. And after the second Gulf War, 2004, 2005, 2006, the Americans decided to build a huge compound in Babylon. And I remember reading that they wanted to put 5,000 diplomats in such a compound, 
not an embassy as such, as far as I can recall, because Baghdad is the capital of Iraq, but maybe a consul general, perhaps, or an extension of the embassy. At that time, Babylon was in great uh, ruins, had been for a long time, and Baghdad was also under uh, enemy attacks, so on and so forth, so it was a dangerous place to live. But the Americans thought it was worth putting 5,000 diplomats into such a place. And at the time, I remember reading that people were saying that Iraq will be the capital of the Middle East. Well, I'm not overly sure about that. Even to the present, Iraq is still in a very bad way. Their economy is shot. You've still got a lot of Allied troops serving in Iraq, but this time helping the Iraqi government helping the Iraqi people, whereas back in the first Gulf War, 1990, 1991, and the second Gulf War, 2003, they were very much against the state. They were against Saddam, who again thought of himself as a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, and he wanted to rebuild Iraq back to her heyday, much like Putin wants to do in Russia. He wants to go back to the heydays, the good old days of the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin. But this map that I looked at this morning doesn't really convince me that Babylon, Iraq, is in the context of what we are reading this morning. And yet saying that, I will say this, that I am aware that governments can build cities very quickly, villages very quickly. When NATO invaded Afghanistan 2001-2002, I seem to remember hearing and reading of the allies which were present, and it was... Britain taking the lead to some extent when they were given the responsibility of building this huge camp, which from memory I think was Count Bastion. May be wrong on that, but this camp was the biggest in the world. This military base was the biggest in the world, and it took several months to build. And when the Allies left Afghanistan 2014, I think it was, it fell to the British to dismantle it. But my point is this they arrived, NATO that is. They were put in the desert, and within a period of time, a few months, no more than a year, they built this village, they built this city. The Americans were there, the Canadians, the Brits, and others. It was massive, which just goes to show that what could happen, quite possibly, is once a church has been raptured, those in Israel, those in Iraq, those on the earth, will come together, this unholy union. And quite possibly, Babylon will somehow be rebuilt, but... I'm not completely sure about that. My only point I can say is this, that something could be built very quickly, but at the present, Babylon, Iraq, at present, is not in any way near being a world-dominating country, a world-dominating city. So you can see, can't you, why some people think that New York is in the frame, as it were. But I don't go for that, because New York is a state in America, and as far as I know... New York hasn't been responsible for the death of the apostles and prophets found also in this piece of scripture. So I will retain my view that what we are reading this morning is economical Babylon, chapter 18, compared to ecclesiastical Babylon, found over in Revelation 17, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her. When they shall see the smoke of a burning, standing afar off for the fear of a torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And I sat down this morning to work out this term, one hour, 
and it only appears four times in Revelation. And I don't see why we can't take that literally. I don't think we can, or we shouldn't be quick to spiritualize it. I personally will leave it as it is. One hour, in one hour, in 60 minutes, is this picture or this term, this monstrosity about to be completely destroyed. On top of that, you've got the kings of the earth, the leaders of the earth, lamenting, bewailing, heartbroken, and yet from 17, they were complicit in her destruction. It just goes to show how quickly people can change once they see that their system is no more. For in one hour is thy judgment come. In one hour will Babylon fall. Going back to chapter 14, going back to chapter 16, which once again falls under the, uh, the teaching of parenthesis, the belief, the understanding that I have concerning Revelation that there are different endings to this piece of scripture. So I will close it there, just add some additional thoughts before I wrap this message up and say this, that Caesar was in power during the time of the apostles. Caesar will be in power during the time of the two witnesses, during the time of the 144,000. Rome dominated the world back in the first century. Rome will dominate the world during the time of the tribulation. It wasn't long ago that the Catholic Church thought that their best days were long behind them. And yet they couldn't have believed that people like John Paul II, this great charismatic Polish Pope, would reconnect with Catholics and non-Catholics. They couldn't believe that their current Pope would reconnect with Catholics and non-Catholics. So when we look at 17 and 18, we need to be mindful of the fact that the Pope is a secular leader. The Pope is a religious leader. The Pope is the head of Vatican City, head of state. The Pope is head of their church. The Pope has two offices. Papacy is political. Papacy is economical. Vatican City is secular. Vatican City is religious. And that's why I think when we look at 17 and 18, we see two parts of Rome's destruction. Religious, like I say, and economical. On top of that, I want to repeat myself very quick and say that it is possible that perhaps during the tribulation, Babylon in Iraq will be rebuilt. I won't go beyond that, but I will say it is possible. But the main points that are of interest to me this morning are going to be found from Revelation 18:2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. What we can say for sure is that during the tribulation, Babylon, whether Rome, Babylon, whether New York, Babylon, whether Jerusalem, Babylon, whether Iraq, is going to be something else. It's going to be like Las Vegas. And I'm told that if you go to Las Vegas, they have no clocks in their casinos, in the hotels. They don't want you to be watching the time or checking the time because as far as they are concerned there is no time they want you to spend spend and spend and this final babylon will be 10 times more worse than las vegas turn to matthew chapter 13 there's a great cross reference here concerning birds and unclean spirits and i showed you uh, ecclesiastes chapter 10 which made it clear that you should be careful as to what you say because someone somewhere may be listening 
Look at Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Cast your eye over verse 31, please. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. The birds of the air, demons, devils, come and lodge in the branches thereof. Kingdom of heaven, here is a literal kingdom offered to the Jews. The Jews would reject it, so it becomes a spiritual kingdom for those of us which are saved. The point is this. You have the wheat and the tares, the goats and the sheep. And here you've got birds of the air, 32, coming along and comfortably lodging themselves in the branches, which is a pretty frightening thought because what it denotes is the fact that we, although saved, we, although holy, we, although the Lord's people, are never far from devils, unclean spirits. They are very much interested in what we do. And here, and it becomes the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air, demons, devils, Revelation 18.2, Ecclesiastes 10.20, come and lodge in the branches thereof. Food for thought. I will close it there and pick it up next week from Revelation 18.